0: Hey Boos, welcome to Crime and Spirits, your one-stop shop for handcrafted cocktails, spooky stories, and all things true crime. I am your resident bartender,
1: Suze, and I'll be teaching you all a new drink recipe at the beginning of each of our episodes.
0: And I'm Bree, drinker of the drinks, and I write the stories we tell.
1: So, what should you expect while listening to us? Well, good question. There's going to be some swearing.
0: Oh, a lot of swearing.
1: Probably some rambling. Definitely rambling. And most likely a lot of off-topic pop culture references.
0: We specialize in box Burgers and maybe Always Sunny. Definitely. But what do you want from us? We're going to be drinking. And hopefully you will be too. So come hang out with us each week. And if you want to spend more time with us, check out the description for the link to all of our socials. Let's
1: buckle up buttercups and sip tight. Let's get into it.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Crime and Spirits. We are your hosts. I'm Bree. And I'm Suze. And really quick, before we get into things, Suze and I are kind of uh, having a day today. We are. (laughs) So, uh, last year... Some time ago. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it was right before Christmas of last year. Yeah. We lost a good friend and a manager who we worked closely with at yeah. work. Her name was Angie. And today would have been her 47th birthday.
0: Yeah. So so
1: we bought her favorite tequila, which is Casadores with a Z, <laughs> And we are going to do a little sippy shot for Angie.
0: Because we miss her. In You know, we you just know. wanted to say...
1: Say
0: hey, peace, girl. yes, ma'am. Who? Angie liked her drink strong. She did
1: like her tequila cool. a lot.
0: All right. <laughs> Lots of cinco spent been
1: drinking that.
0: <laughs> so, um, we just wanted to do a little thing for her really quick, and so now we'll just get into things. And besides, we'll need that shot, soon for what we're about to get into. Because this week, we are discussing the Jonestown Massacre and all things Jim Jones. Infamous, if you will. I actually feel like I knew a lot
1: about this case, but then I started researching
0: it, and I was like, girl, you don't know shit about shit. (laughs) Literally said that same thing to Mark. I was like, why does this feel like new information? All of it, yep. So for all my sweet little babies out there who might not know... Jim Jones led the cult disguised as a religion known as the People's Temple. By 1978, more than 900 of his followers were dead. Jim Jones had convinced his following to give their lives for the cause and then provided the means in which to do so. A a cup of grape flavor aid laced with cyanide. So the tragic event that ended up taking place represented the largest number of American civilian casualties in a single non-natural event for years.
1: Which boggled my
0: mind. Because not until the Twin Tower attack on 9-11 did we see something of this magnitude. And that really put things in perspective for me. Well, because we lived through that, you know what I mean? And the anniversary of that was very recent. So it's something that was kind of fresh on our minds while we were diving into this. So the impact this left upon our history has been felt in many, many ways, least of which is a phrase that I personally use much too often, and after this I don't think I'm going to anymore. So, before we get into things, I am going to tell you guys that this is going to be a two-part story. And we're sorry, I promise, that was not part of our original plan. Really? For real?
1: We mapped it out two months in advance,
0: and this had one spot on our calendar. But
1: once she read the research, she was like, there ain't no way this is
0: fitting in one episode. And also, like we physically could not fit it into one recording, because we do have a cap that we have to meet with our publishing platform a little bit. Um, So, it just wasn't possible in any way. Quick little warning before we get started. Tonight, we are going to be talking about religion, racism, abuse, and suicide. If this case doesn't sound like your jam, that's totally fine. You know, just catch up with us next time. If you are sticking around, we want to take a quick second to reiterate that by doing this podcast, we mean no disrespect to victims or the families of those involved. We try to keep things a bit lighter and focus more on what we can learn from these cases while maybe teaching you a bit about mixology along the way. So, with all of that in mind, if you like what you're about to hear, make sure you follow us on Instagram, at Crime and Spirits Pod. And if you're interested in us personally, we'll give you our personal handles at the end of the episode. But enough business. Let's have a drink. Suze, make us something delicious.
1: Alright, so obviously we're talking Jonestown this week. It's not only a crazy story, but a really sad one. So, in my opinion, we need to be armed with something sweet and strong to totally offset the awfulness. (laughs) Um, And I'm not going to lie, both Brie and I thought something purple, call it the morbidness of us. I don't really know, but they
0: drank grape flavor aid. It's just the connection that my brain yep. makes. Like it just kind of. So seems... I was like,
1: "Let's make something purpley."
0: So we tried
1: to be a little creative here. However, with the name, we failed miserably. We're just gonna call it Purple Punch. Yeah. Because that's really all it is. <laughs> um, it's a combo of cranberry grape juice and blue curacao, and it gives the beverage a purpleliness, if you will. Um, We also added in some grape vodka, some homemade sours, and as always, you know us, a little bit of club soda (laughs) to make this a yummy but still strong drink. Um, To start, we rimmed our shaker glass with some of our purple sugar because now that I know how to make it, I'm like obsessed with it.
0: Well, it's easy to batch in
1: big quantities, is, too. and it
0: just really Cause kind of... Because this is the same batch that you've used yep,
1: now a couple of times. Yep, and it sort of just zhuzhes up the look of your drink. If you don't care about looks, you don't even need the sugar. Right. I just think <laughs> pure, it looks pretty, honestly. Pure
0: aesthetic purposes. Just aesthetics,
1: <laughs> yep. So next, we filled up the glass and our trusty shaker, both with ice. To the shaker, we added one and a half ounces of pinnacle grape vodka, which... Can I just say, smelled like a fresh Concord grape Honestly, straight in my face when I opened the bottle. I was so, surprised. kudos. <laughs> it smelled phenomenal. Um, next up, add a half an ounce of the Blue Curacao. And that's if you can find it. It was very hard to come across. I don't know if it's because we're in Pennsylvania and things are so weird, but every liquor store I stopped at, and there were like five of them, <laughs> had the spot for it with the card, with the price, but had a little thing that said, you know, due to xyz yeah it, it, <laughs> it's it's just one of those things that's still happening it's all for color and not for flavor so if you can't find it there's literally no worries here because blue yeah. curacao is just an orange flavored liqueur that's for some reason blue
0: now triple sec is the same yeah right so technically speaking if they had triple sec and they wanted to follow your recipe you could add some triple sec and honestly
1: if you want to drop in one or two drops of blue food coloring you'd get the same effect
0: yeah
1: um Next up to the shaker, add two ounces of the cran grape juice. Again, you can just use cranberry juice, but I really was, like, all in on grapey. (laughs) So add that, and then I made the sours mix. It's literally simple syrup, lemon and lime juices, and a little bit of water. I added one ounce to my shaker tin, but it's handy to have on hand if you make cocktails a lot. It does go in, like, Long Islands and a lot of other things that you could potentially use it for and... Like I said, simple syrup, so easy to make. You have no reason not to be making it. Um, so just shake and strain all that into the sugar rim glass, top with the club soda if you want to. Um, it's pretty, it's purple, it's grapey, it's a little bit fizzy, it's nice and sweet. Breeze trying it. Mm. Good, Ooh. right?
0: Okay, so I said it tasted or it smelled like one of those freezer pops that was the grape freezer. Oh my God, freezer pops. <laughs> melt it mm. down and that's what it tastes like too. yep it's good it's sweet it's a little sweet for my taste but I'm not mad yeah about this it. isn't something I would like chug order a bunch the time chug.
1: but I'm telling you one or two of those you'd be like woohoo
0: but it's nice. literally tastes like Ooh, or you know like those hugs drinks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It tastes like one of the like oh! hugs. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Which we're gonna need by the time yeah, we seriously. Get through this. So maybe
1: not even through it, maybe just after a couple paragraphs
0: here. For real. Alright, <laughs> so drinks in hand, let's get
1: let's get into this. Mm-hmm.
0: So we're gonna do the typical background on Jim Jones. And there's a lot here, just so like a heads up, guys, because his journey is a big part of the story. Right. And I think in order to understand how we got to the end result, we need to know why, like where his motivations lie, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, because a lot of, a lot of his
1: behaviors began in his childhood.
0: Yeah. So, uh, that's our typical structure if you guys are familiar with us, but it's a little... It's a little bit more involved. There's a lot of background there. Not so. just on him, but
1: on other parts of the story also.
0: Absolutely. James Warren Jones was born on May 13th in 1931 in Crete, Indiana, to parents James and Lynetta. His upbringing was less than conventional. See, his father fought in the First World War and had sustained injuries while serving. He had suffered a chemical weapons attack that caused long-term breathing difficulties that were pretty severe. And this type of disability made it difficult for James Sr. to hold down a job. And the, very, the family very much struggled when it came to money.
1: I And it didn't specify, but I took it as mustard gas because that was a thing that they were beginning be, to right? use in the trenches to like knock people out and basically kill them. But if, yeah. you, if you did breathe it in and couldn't get your gas mask on fast enough, it could fuck your lungs up like, whoa. So yeah, that it didn't specify, but that's my hunch. Long story short. Well,
0: 1930, like, right before World oh, War yeah. I, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, so, by
1: 1934, things had worsened when the Joneses were evicted from their home. James and Lynetta were obviously unable to make the mortgage payments. And when this happened, there were actually a couple of relatives who were interested in helping. So, they purchased the family an actual shack to live in. Knowing what we know now about Jim Jones, it is a bit surprising to learn that he grew up in a home without any indoor plumbing or electricity. There were some attempts made to turn the land into a working farm, but obviously that didn't work out. If you can't breathe, you can't be out working in fields. If you don't have any money, you can't afford horses or machinery. So I could see how that wouldn't work. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Um, And over time, James Sr.'s health further declined, exacerbated by the lack of adequate food because the family was, like, poor, poor. Um, They had to rely on money and financial assistance from the extended family members that offered to help, and they would often resort to forging the woods and fields surrounding them just so that they could supplement their
0: meager diet. That one, that really uh, made me sad. Yeah. Because that is not something I knew previously. Me
1: uh, me either. When you see Jim Jones in his later life, he's all polished and like Rico Suave looking. You know right, what I mean? Absolutely. I never would have pictured him in my brain foraging in the forest. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Kind of sad Sad to think about. So you may be asking yourself, why didn't Lynetta go out and get a job? Because, you know, it was the 30s. Mm-hmm. We weren't allowed to work, especially post-World War One. Well, the answer to that is that she did eventually. According to quite a few sources, Jim's mother was neglectful to her son. So it sounds like to me she was pretty checked out of a lot of things. Well, I
1: mean I, and this is not in her defense, but a sick husband. Yeah. You're dirt poor. Yeah. You have children. It's like, well, a person can only deal with so it's much. It's literally right know? after World War One. which right. devastated the entire world. Well, yeah.
0: So I, yeah, I get it. And also, like, according to some biographers, they can be quoted saying that Lynetta had no maternal, like, no natural maternal instincts. And I think that goes a long way in whether or not you're a good mother. Oh, for sure.
1: Because some people are just not. (laughs) Maybe she's born with it. What is that, Maybelline? Uh, yeah. Motherhood,
0: same idea. You know what I mean. But honestly, it's true. I mean, if you don't have those instincts, you're not gonna be. Well,
1: back then, I think the woman's place was thought to be like at home with the
0: children, oh, and she was sure. like, I mean, no thanks. like, <laughs> I don't really want to do right. That. But it also seemed that she was hesitant to work because, when it came time for Jim to start going to school, Lynetta's family gave her an ultimatum: get a fucking job. Or we're going to cut you off. Because they were the ones that were mainly helping them out financially. They were the family members, mostly, that was kind of keeping them afloat. That was, like, from what I read and understand, that was their only support system. Right. So. And so I can understand, like, okay, now that, you know, Jim's going to school, it's time for you to do a little something-something during the day. So she begins to work outside of her home. And between that and the fact that James Sr. was frequently getting admitted to the hospital... Little Jim was left in the care of others quite often. Sadly.
1: Um, As a young boy, it was neighbors or family members that often wound up babysitting, and during this period in Jim's life, he was introduced to the Bible. Um, One of his sitters were were a Nazarene pastor and his wife. The wife would often encourage Jim to read the Bible and follow Nazarene teachings, which I had no idea what what that was. I've heard of it.
0: I've seen it on church buildings before but I was like what? I don't fully understand the difference between many of the denominations and I wonder if that's why I didn't know a lot of like those kind of details regarding the situation. Well you have the added caveat of you were. I wasn't supposed to know about any other religion. You were not and right. by the time I got old enough to learn that about my like for myself i I'm very against organized religion as a whole. So right. like, I'm I'm good. I'm in, I'm not interested. Well, I went to a Catholic
1: college. <laughs> I was raised Methodist. I did student teaching in Catholic schools, but usually, you know, they actually teach church as part of schooling mm-hmm. and I was like, <laughs> good no that. Nah. I was excused from teaching it because Catholic non-Catholics can't teach yeah, there's a whole bunch. Like, if that you don't know sense. about
0: it, you know what I mean? They gave me well, the yeah. opportunity,
1: and I was like... Mm-mm. They don't
0: want you to teach something that's incorrect, yeah. and well, that could, like, Which go definitely around. would have been a thing. Right, <laughs>
1: absolutely. Those second graders I was teaching new. what is it, Hail Marys? Bad kids. <laughs> Anyways, we digress. So the Nazarene faith uh, is an evangelical Christian de- demonization, is that right?
0: Oh, nope. I, I was like, Wait, it's,
1: it's a denomination <laughs> yep, that then. emerged um, from the 19th century Wesleyan holiness movement within Methodism. So I guess it came from Methodism mm-hmm.
0: initially. That's the thing, too, about these... Church denominations, is that it's all like, this one just didn't want to do this anymore, so it decided to do this over here. Well, and it's like all of their
1: other principles might be the same, but there's one thing that they're like, no thanks, that they do differently. So that just becomes a separate branch. Christianity
0: is the umbrella that a lot of this resides under. There's a lot. (laughs) Um, They
1: are the largest denomination in the world that is aligned with the Wesleyan Holiness Movement. Um, Their global mission is to, quote respond to the great commission of christ to make christ-like disciples in the nations end quote (laughs) means of doing so include but i don't think are limited to making disciples through evangelism education showing compassion working for justice and bearing witness to the kingdom of god Uh, that's okay i mean okay
0: sounds like a lot of missionary work right sounds like a lot of Focus on that aspect of things. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, their core values are Christian holiness and mission. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
0: rather than focusing on like your own one on one relationship, which I've noticed is a theme. Yes, mm-hmm. you really want weird. That.
1: <laughs> um, seven characteristics in the Nazarene faith are meaningful worship, theological coherence, passionate evangelism, which I think I see why he was attracted to it. Yeah. Um, Intentional discipleship, church development, transformational leadership, and purposeful compassion. Yeah. On the surface, sounds fine. It all seems... mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fine. So... He was young when he began just attending churches around town, like, boop, boop, let me check all the shit out,
0: okay? He was even baptized by a few of the churches. I mean, I guess he was doing his research, so that's cool. That's Really mm. trying to figure it out. Well, this is a theme that we're going to see. It's true. Throughout <clears throat> the entire story is that he just continues to, like, seek more, seek yes. up,
1: seek mm-hmm. something. Um, he did, at this time, develop a yearning to one day become a pastor he would even practice his preaching style in private, and this is when he was like a child. Yeah. So, what? But <laughs> whatever blows your hair back, I'm happy. you like it. I love it. Right. I'm not here to judge. You're not I hurting guess. anybody.
0: That's fine. Right. At least not yet.
1: Um His mother actually caught him imitating a pastor once, and she was not happy. Um, she would try and discourage Jim, but as we'll learn, that didn't do shit.
0: Yeah, and I. I tried to find if there was any explanation as to why his mother would feel that way, but I certainly couldn't find anything. Well, I'm
1: curious, do you think b- perhaps maybe she had felt like God has abandoned me because of yeah. my
0: hardships in life
1: or, you was, know what I mean, like the church community has abandoned mm-hmm. me or I, I'm, not that's, that I was there, but.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the take I got on it. I mean, it's really easy to feel that way when you just kind of live a, a more sad life. Mm-hmm. So, while Jim may have had many of his neighbor's sympathy, they still thought that he was a f- weird fucking kid. Yep, absolutely. And that's because he was. Because he, he was a weirdo. didn't really have any friends, and he was absolutely obsessed with religion and death. And again, this is childhood, child. preteen age. And we only see this grow as he gets older. His reading choices were a bit off-putting to adults and children alike, because he was reading things like books by Hitler. Stalin. Gandhi seems fine. Um, He was also allegedly impressed when Hitler committed suicide so he could escape capture. That was like a quote from one of his friends that like when that whole thing happened he was like that's cool. That was smart. That's not cool dude.
1: None of that is cool. But just imagine on a young impressionable brain you've got 5011 church things yeah and then his personal readings just all sort of mush together like it,
0: this is definitely like <laughs> my perfect... eyes are wide i'm clutching
1: my pearls dear lord save us it it's gonna get ugly
0: <laughs> like the perfect storm honestly like right brewing. and it's just like a very slow burn here too so he didn't have like the best behavior as a child either he would steal from candy shops like throughout the town and he would curse at neighbors. This kind of made me chuckle ever so slightly. <laughs> this because did. I was like, he <laughs> was a, because he was a kid, and I don't know why. Like, I don't. I find it hilarious when kids swear because I'm um, a bad person. So and I'm not. <laughs> <maternal>. I <laughs> accidentally
1: said douchebag in front of my friend's eight year old and she looks up at me and looks at her dad and she goes daddy what's a douchebag and I was like oh dear god no (laughs) I'm so sorry please don't say those words ever again I'm so sorry bud was just
0: like thanks I was like my bad (laughs) that's not so bad compared to what Jim would say like Good morning, you son of a bitch. Just leave <laughs> his neighbors like, hey. Hey, what's up? Or, hello, you dirty bastard. That one made me laugh, because, okay, that's a little creative. Well, and also, I picture, like, literally just, like, a smaller Jim Jones, like, of what I know I him. pictured
1: him as sort of, like, a little pop, like, yeah. figure. Mm-hmm. Like, his big crazy head mm. on his tiny little child body. Just yeah. going,
0: you son of a bitch. It made, anyone... it made me
1: laugh a little bit. It,
0: well, it's... But also, like, when you look at it in a more, like, analytical way, that really kind of just speaks to, like, where he was at. And if you, if anybody would have taken the time to ask him, he would have told you that he was a very angry child, considering his upbringing, not surprising. When commenting on his own childhood later on in life, Jones said, and I quote, I was ready to kill by the end of third grade. I mean, I was so aggressive and hostile, I was ready to kill. Nobody gave me love, any understanding. In those days, a parent was supposed to go with a child to school functions. There was some kind of p- school performance, and everybody's parent was there but mine. I'm standing there alone, always was alone. End quote. That is so sad that's
1: relatable
0: (laughs) like it's and that's the thing like I I can understand to some extent like I definitely between my mom my dad and my grandpa but you're not a crazy somebody was there for the most part but I also understand those moments when like your parent wasn't able to be there and like I think that that just really speaks to he was never nurtured Right. And he was reading things like Hitler and Stalin. And he was reading the Bible, which in and of itself is filled with terrible stories Uh, about, like, terrible things that happened. And so I'm not really that surprised that we got to where we got. Right. You know? I guess I'm more surprised by the people that were like, "Yeehaw!" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> According to a childhood friend of his, Jim was a loner and that he was just absolutely obsessed, like obsessed, obsessed with religion and death. He would entertain any playma- playmates he would have in his family's barn and he forced them to be captive, like his captive audience. Like he locked them up one time and made them listen to him, like spout off whatever he was spouting off. And he seemed to enjoy performing experiments on animals, and would hold funerals for them. Oh,
1: Sad
0: to <sighs> face. like you're gonna. So you're you're. Are you hurting the animal because you want to be able to have a funeral for it? Like I, I don't like that. I don't direction like that vibe that we're at taking all. That in any <laughs> way, shape, or form, either. Uh, no thanks.
1: Um. So this brings us to high school. Jim's hit in high school, always packing a Bible on his person. (laughs) He was very vocal about his beliefs, and he'd often confront, somewhat angrily from what I read, those who were exhibiting behaviors that he deemed bad. Think drinking, smoking, and yes, a la Footloose, even dancing. (laughs) How dare you? Um, His extreme religious views often alienated people his own age from wanting to hang out with him, or even talk to him. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) And as we both know, and all of you out there, your teenage years are highly formative. And while Jim was really into the religious thing, he still had a lot to learn about how the world actually worked outside of that specific perspective. And he would get a big life lesson that would prove to have a considerable influence over the direction Jim would take in his life. He went to a baseball game in Indiana one day. And saw how black people were treated for the first time. Because keep in mind, Jim Crow was still a thing. So segregation, so on, so forth. In, like,
0: Indiana, Midwest area. Well, uh, even
1: though the North was a little more progressive, it did not mean that there were not racist people out there. Correct.
0: That didn't mean that it didn't happen. Right.
1: Um, It wasn't long after this moment that Jim was informed by his parents that they would be divorcing. So it's like, wham, bam, thank you, Mm ma'am. The racism really affected him a lot. And then the divorce right on the heels of that was just not cool. It was a little much for him. Like a Molotov cocktail straight to his brain, I think. Honestly. Um, in 1945, uh, the couple began the process of formally separating. His mother packed the two of them up and moved to Richmond, Indiana where he is enrolled in the local high school and graduates in December of 1948. So at least he got an education. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. And that, I, you know, he's not an idiot. No. Well, and that's the Again, like we say with so many of these people Mm -hmm. and these serial killers and whatnot, they're scary smart. Yeah.
0: They are. They're not stupid people. It's the smart ones that you have to be afraid of. Right. Like, what we're going to see, the journey we are about to take you guys on is just through, like, this, it's a terrible, terrible, awful onion of, like, all this manipulation. We're always and, opening the onion oh, with you guys. Know, We're right?
1: always peeling back the icky, scary layers of craziness.
0: Honestly, but that's because that's like the, that's what people are, right? Like, Shrek, it's true. Donkey was right. Whoever Mom. said it was right, like, we are onions, and these guys are just terrible ones. Yes, and they're rotten and awful, rotten to the core. <laughs> so Jim immediately joined the workforce after graduation, and he didn't really have much choice. His family was officially cut off financially. When the divorce happened, because back then, divorce was absolutely not okay. I was going to say, I didn't think anybody really got divorced. No. I mean, they did. It's just
1: a lot of Things people like this suffered happen. in silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: He gets a job at Reed Hospital as an orderly. Management seemed to really like him, but his co-workers did not share that sentiment. Staff members would go on to say that Jim displayed some disturbing behavior towards his co-workers and even some patients. That part I, scares me a lot. I didn't find, I tried to like dig for details. It wouldn't tell you there anything. It wasn't anything. Those sons of bitches. Really makes you wonder. Well, it makes me wonder it's either like one of two things, right? It was all just like whispers and rumors. Like hearsay,
1: yeah. Or
0: it was like bad. And they just like covered up that it happened and moved forward. I, I feel like know.
1: hospitals were kind of a eh, place <sighs> back then. Yeah. We remember what
0: happened with Nanny and her granddaughter. Um, He did manage to snag himself a girlfriend while working there. A nurse in training named Marceline. Love that name. Me too. I typed it and I was like, that's so pretty. Marceline Baldwin.
1: Uh, At some point, Jim makes the move to attend Indiana University at Bloomington. He was going to become a doctor. However, it was hard and it didn't take him long to change his (laughs) mind. He was influenced in another direction when he heard a speech given by Eleanor Roosevelt one day. It was titled something like The Plight of African Americans. He became, again, incest at the idea and the injustice of it all and began to speak out about his political beliefs. Unfortunately, most, if not all, in my opinion, were a bit on the radical side of things, especially for this time period.
0: Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Jim and Marceline tied the knot on June 12, 1949. They stayed in Bloomington, and while Jim attended classes, Marceline began working in a hospital nearby. Bless this girl. They began to have arguments almost immediately, and they were always regarding the same thing, religion. You see... Marceline was a Methodist, and Jim did not care for the church's segregation practices, so that was a no for him. Like a hard he no. He was like, I am not Not going. even a
1: discussion, really. Just no. Yeah.
0: Jim wanted the two of them to attend Bloomington's Full Gospel Tabernacle, but eventually he did make a compromise with his wife, where he would attend a Methodist service most Sunday mornings. Um, it didn't really seem if like as if Jim was really into God anymore because he started to try to talk his wife into embracing atheism behind closed doors. Hmm, suspicious. Like, I just don't know if it was something that like he still believed in God, but he didn't want to participate. Okay, so I could see the seg- the segregation issue
1: if sure. you feel that strongly about it, that oh, being a no for you. You
0: already know that I would but be... But this
1: sounded like he was like, mm, if you're considering atheism, that means you don't believe in a God at all, right? Right. So
0: and I think this is just really. I have
1: some questions, Jim.
0: I think this is just setting the groundwork. I mean, what better person to get on your side immediately than your wife? Because then you again, become a united
1: He's very smart, so if you're building from the ground up, exactly, it, it makes sense, like you said, to start yes. with patient zero, if you will. That's my <laughs> that's my perception of the situation. So, that this was him
0: laying the groundwork of trying to like. Re, like, manipulate her. Talk about the long con,
1: bro. Absolutely. Woo-hoo. So, in 1951, the couple relocate. They head to Indianapolis, booming city, <laughs> where Jim starts taking night classes at Butler University to further his education. <clears throat> that same year, Jim began attending gatherings of the Communist Party. And this
0: is where you really cast kind of her
1: Because back then, even now, but especially back then, mm-hmm. people were being blackballed out of Hollywood and blacklisted from everywhere for their beliefs, or not even their beliefs, but like their perhaps might could be. Lucille Ball got blacklisted. There don't were, you know? Yeah. I mean... I, like, almost
0: anybody, I who think, Who knows if she did. was a
1: communist, but, like, you go to the wrong meeting and look where you're at.
0: You're right. on a black list. <laughs>
1: exactly. So, the Jones family did deal with some harassment from the government because of this. So, <clears throat> communism. Guys, what is it?
0: <laughs> I don't know. So, this was a little bit of a tough one. Yeah. To, like, navigate a little bit. So, what... The notes that I have here for us is, like, the strictest definition... And, and what the terms were originally meant because as you guys know, especially if you're in the states, like you guys know that nobody knows what the definition of socialism or communism truly is. We Everybody did learn that the hard way forgets like <laughs> the roots of where these things came from and the fact that nuance and, and context and all this other stuff is really important. So we're just kind of giving you like the bare bones Literally, there's so much you can talk... Like, so much to talk
1: about. Oh, well, this could probably be a whole episode in Honestly, itself. like... You know what I mean? And again, communism is something that people have taken and twisted to fit their own agendas. So, and
0: that's even what happened, like, that here, we saw in the Red Scare. Yep. So,
1: per the dictionary.com, the official one, this term was first used in the mid-19th century to refer to an economic and political theory that advocated the elimination of private property and the common sharing of all resources among a group of people. When used this way, the way it's actually meant to be, it can be interchangeable with socialism. Today, the word communism typically is referred to as the political and economic ideologies originating from Karl Marx, which if you remember, Jim was reading Karl Marx as well in his youth. Yep. Um, his theory of revolutionary socialism. This theory advocates a proletariat overthrow of capitalist structures within us. That was so weird. Woo! Okay, so my theory was just like, girl, check it out. I got some answers for you. It's literally sitting like two feet away from me, by the way.
0: Weird. Okay. Uh,
1: spooky. Mm-hmm. I see you, Angie. <laughs> right. So uh we're overthrowing capitalist structures within a society. Okay. Societal and communal ownership and the governance of the means of production and the eventual establishment of a classless society, which I feel like never works out the way well, they say it will. And I
0: think that's the key, like in the key theory. Factor. On paper,
1: I'm like, two thumbs up. That sounds awesome. But
0: also the whole like the thing the thing that makes it bad and the thing that makes it scary is is the means in which they want to achieve this. Like, revolutionary socialism is not good. Like, that is essentially, like, Hitler wasn't a socialist, technically. Like, in this definition. Look at
1: today. The communist countries as of today include China, Cuba, Vietnam, Laos, and North Korea. None of those places are places I would like to go. Right. Maybe Cuba, but you can't. So, okay, great. Good talk. I think I'm good. I just want to see the pink Cadillacs and stuff.
0: That's fair. Yes, and dance Havana Nights, Brie. I mean, I, <laughs> okay. So my stepsister, when my dad was married to, I don't even remember at this point. What? Um, I had a stepsister named Carrie, and she was pretty cool. And we, she introduced me to Havana Nights. Oh, okay. I see you, girl. It was a game changer I for me. I see you. We watched it like once a week for like six
1: months. I was like, I don't
0: even <laughs> like this. And then I was like, just kidding. It's the best
1: movie ever. Um, so, The Red Scare, which Brie referenced earlier, was hysteria over a perceived th- threat proposed. <laughs> it was. Woof, we're woof. having we're,
0: uh, we're it's like been a really good time a day, today. <laughs>
1: y'all. Um, it was hysteria over a perceived threat posed by communists in the United States during the Cold War. Which was a series of political and economic clashes between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. I feel like we, we grew up with it. It went on until the, the
0: Berlin Wall came mm-hmm. down, I think, was a big yeah. part of it. The key here, folks, is perceived threat. Right. Now, granted, it was founded to some extent, but... That's the whole thing. Like, it was just, like, the possibility that somebody maybe kind of thought Oh, yeah,
1: the 40s and 50s, it was, like, running rampant, especially mm -hmm. right
0: after World War II and into the 50s. Which is why Jim was having such a hard time with Um, his own personal beliefs.
1: The first one occurred in the wake of World War I. Vladimir Lenin led the Russian Revolution of 1917, toppled the Romanovs, you know, Anastasia, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the dynasty, and essentially kicked off the rise of the party... Once the Cold War began, the U.S. was concerned that communists and their sympathizers inside America might actively work as Soviet spies and pose as a threat to U.S. security, which uh, could be a thing because the USSR did utilize it during World War II, but it wasn't always the case and there's people that they were, you know, blackballing and whatnot Um, also just fun, some trivia, whatnot thing. Did you know that FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover was quick to equate any kind of protest with communist subversion, including civil rights demonstrations led by MLK Jr.
0: <gasps> no way. The FBI would never do anything like
1: that. Uh, Hoover labeled King a communist and covertly worked to intimidate and discredit the civil rights leader, which this comes directly from history.com and fills me with rage. Because while well, I knew it, it's just like hearing it again makes me want to well, flip a just, table over. Right, it's like the war I on hate drugs. hate you, you're it's stupid. It's
0: just like any other fucking thing that has happened in this country that they don't want to take accountability for. Or right. in any way, shape, or form. Asshole. Which is infuriating. That's the thing that, like, I. I, I enjoy a lot of the cases that we've been doing lately because there's been such like a duality to the humans that perpetrated the crimes and with Jim there's absolutely that because like I can totally get down with like your anti-racism dude okay. like that
1: is that's yes, I love it but, but also everything
0: else you lose me <laughs> with everything else the
1: communism and the being crazy and the because
0: I'm like writing some of this and I was like yeah fuck yeah like that's awesome and then I'm like and you're a terrible person that's my friend who brought
1: it up to me was like well you know he was like a anti-racism crazy person and i was like wait like what and he was like just google it (laughs) i like started doing the research and i was like holy shit
0: this guy's crazy yeah super weird so moving forward there's going to be a lot of background information on Jim's journey to founding so, so the People's Temple.
1: But I feel like it's all important info that you have to have to understand why this man is who this man was. It's a big you know question I
0: mean? here for a lot of people. Like, if you know what's coming, you already know. Like, there's no such thing as spoiler alerts here. Like, Jim Jones was able to manipulate almost a thousand people to just give Literally their lives the for Kool-Aid. Him. Yeah. Like... That's not something that happens overnight, and the the real question is, and at the end of all of this, what everybody's asking themselves is why. Well, let's get into it, right? right? So, like, we're going to kind of take things year by year to make it a little bit easier to navigate. Because it was, when I was
1: researching it, I was just going cross-eyed with all the crazy things that yeah. were happening.
0: Some of it good,
1: most of it terrible, but okay, great.
0: We're going to just kind of walk you guys through the next, you know, X amount of years until we get... To a place where we need to take a box.
1: All right. So 1952, Jim announces to his wife and family that he is going to become a minister for a Methodist church. Because why? Remember, he had a problem earlier. He does not anymore. Literally, just wanted to be an atheist. Yep. He didn't have a problem with them anymore because he believed that the church was ready to quote put real socialism into practice. End quote. What does that even mean? But it's all a bunch of (laughs) hocus-pocus. So he got a start thanks to a higher-ranking church member who was a district superintendent. Uh, He was actually a little surprised by the help, since the church actually did know that he was a practicing communist at this point. That same summer, Jim gets a job at a local Methodist church and became a children's pastor, which terrified the fuck out of me, personally. Um, while there, he did launch a project to create an all-inclusive playground, which was awesome, not segregated or any of that kind of horseshit. And he did actually continue to speak at Pentecostal churches around town as well.
0: During the 50s, Pentecostalism was going through somewhat of an identity crisis, if you will. And there were two really big like movements bursting out on the scene. We've got the healing revival And the latter rain movements. And you guys, this is just a big bag of cuckoo bananas crazy. I literally was like, Brie. I think I typed in my notes
1: like, Brie, we might want to look into this. I just can't bear to do it or something along those lines. And
0: that's what I am here for. (laughs) I am here to provide. So the healing revival moment kind of brought like a restoration of the quote unquote supernatural gifts of the spirit into full view. Like, I, <laughs> especially when you take like into consideration, like my religious background, and right. Upbringing, like this was not like okay. So this whole thing, so this the healing revival was really represented by like two men. They were named William Branham, which we're gonna deal with a for lot a minute, and Oral Roberts. It declared itself as signs, gifts, healings kind of vibe. Salvation, deliverance, holy ghost miracle revivals. That's the vibe we're getting. So I envisioned a tent with the
1: preacher with his sleeves rolled up like curing people. That's literally And that's exactly what it is. That's
0: exactly what this is. Yep. We are seeing the the movement of people claiming to be able to pure to cure disabled people from needing a wheelchair cancer patients from having cancer. That's the kind of shit we're talking about. Mm. And it makes me mad because while I'm not religious personally, it you are twisting what people really hold near and dear to them. And this Just is kind of your agenda. Right. It makes you want to punch in and this throat. is where we're really going to start seeing the turn to the negative side of things it's a crazy town if you will yeah. so from 1947 to 1958 there were several like healer evangelists that just traveled around praying for the sick it was like a huge fucking thing. it was like a circus like Literally, oh yes.
1: the, do, 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 oral roberts is coming to town we best mm-hmm. get down to the tent in the center of town that's you know exactly
0: what, I mean? what it was like have you ever seen like annie get your gun no There's, like, a whole thing where it's, like, they're going to see these, like, this, like, shooting competition and, like, a traveling show, if you will. And it's the same vibe. Like, you put up the tents and the big tops and the whole thing. It's gross. Allegedly, thousands of people were, quote, unquote, healed. Yeah, okay. Tens of thousands of people converted to different religious denominations throughout this time. This transformed international Christianity and affected pretty much every denomination of it. Like your well, you
1: Jump ship if you thought that could save your well, yeah. brother from cancer Absol- or
0: because isn't that being religion wheelchair
1: bound or whatever.
0: Isn't that religion isn't that its purpose ultimately is to give you like faith that there's like a greater purpose to this? Like I personally don't think you need religion to have that, but some right. people do. Right. And some people need something to believe in. And they were just preying upon that. And then the latter rain movement was characterized by reports of healings and miraculous phenomena. And this was kind of occurring in parallel with the healing revival. So it was like the same kind of vibe, but like a competing circus, if you will.
1: I just, that, there's so much there.
0: Why? the latter rain movement emphasized more on like, it emphasized the same doctrines, but it provided more revelations about the implications of the ministry of the spirit. So I think it was just kind of really ramping things up to like a ten when it didn't really need to be at a tent. Yeah. <laughs> but that's all or part anywhere of it. Like the it. showmanship is part of this because as we know of cult leaders, they're charismatic and they're able to talk you like they can sell it like. Well, ice to an Eskimo. Yeah.
1: I Googled when I Googled Jim Jones, I looked up the images, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was like, again, he looks like Rico Suave Priest, or like literally what's happening. It it's... was a bizarre mix of just,
0: it really is. So Jim heads to a Pentecostal Latter Rain convention in Columbus, Indiana, and you guys, this is where it all goes downhill because a all woman, hell breaks loose. Literally, this is the moment a woman spoke to him, and she basically like prophesized that he himself was a prophet and that he was to have a great ministry. Jim was allegedly taken aback by this. I don't think he was. He was probably like, yes, Fuck yes. yeah, somebody
1: <laughs> agreed with me. This is what I've been waiting Hell for. yeah. <laughs> it didn't specify who the lady was either. No. Well, it's Unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, it could have been like Hobo Mary on the street. It could have been literally. He would have been like, Yes. Absolutely. I mean, oh. He
0: just needed, like, I think, the in, if you will. Yeah. So or that, that affirmation, like, ooh, mm-hmm. you are right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because of that prophecy, if you will, he was given the opportunity to preach at that convention. And he, of course, accepted. And he proceeded to deliver a message to the crowd. So Jim's able to convince Marceline to leave the Methodist church in favor for a Pentecostal one. So he's really kind of starting to throw his his eggs, Putting in, those all eggs of that in, basket. in that basket. His thought process was he likely had a greater chance of getting opportunities to preach at a Pentecostal church due to the growth of the Latter Rain movement. So it wasn't because that's where your calling was taking you. It's because you could be heard by more ears. That's what he wanted. It wasn't it really about my gears. The message itself, I think, it was about him needing to. That's
1: like a popularity contest, mm-hmm. though. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be the coolest. Right. So, woo-hoo, yeah. Me
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And so he, you know, of course, did begin to preach at the Laurel Street Tabernacle in. Indiana, Indianapolis. I can never say Indianapolis. Indianapolis. <laughs> I can never say Indianapolis. It. he um was a what was it? He was per, it was a it was a Pentecostal was a Pentecostal Assemb- Assemblies of God Church. Because
1: we used Ugh. to have an Assembly of God Church. Well, I didn't know what a tabernacle was. Yeah, it's just a church. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I literally was like, "The fuck is this?" It yeah. sounds like something I don't know, like from, from Night Times or something. You know what I mean, like. Knights and swords <laughs>
0: and, and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. So, Jim was also able to begin holding his own healing revivals there. Ugh. And Just he also the world needs. <laughs> began to travel and speak at other Latter Rain churches. Even
1: better. Mm-hmm. So, you will see a pattern with Jim and Marceline. They collect children like Pokemon. <laughs> so, in 1954, they adopt their first child named Agnes. She mm-hmm. was part Native American. So, child number one, check the box, Native American. If you're playing bingo, check it. Get ready, folks. Um, Jim was allegedly stealing money from the Methodist church, so they actually officially kick him out. Um, Jim claims that this is because the leaders of the church forbade him from integrating black folks into his congregation, which, take it with a grain of salt, I feel like he's a liar, liar, pants on fire, but...
0: I wasn't there, so I don't really know. <laughs> right, we can't say for certain. Right. So this takes us to 1955. Um, the Assemblies of God was strongly opposed to the teachings of the Latter Rain movement. Not surprising.
1: So. Because it seems fake to me. I'm just putting that out there.
0: Again, I feel like it's just preying on the very core of their beliefs and manipulating yeah. it to fit an agenda, and they probably realize that themselves. So what they did, I, this kind of made me laugh, too, because it was kind of like a, a fuck you to Jim. They assigned a new pastor to the church that Jim was actively preaching in. And this new guy enforced, there was already a ban put on healing revivals, but it wasn't enforced by the previous pastor. This guy was like, no. Fuck uh, yeah, we're doing it. Let's ban it. This is not okay, and we're not going to do it anymore. I love it. So Jim was like, well, Bye. And he started something called the Wings of Healing. That sounds like a bad 80s <laughs> song Wings to me. The Wings of Healing, right? This church is the beginning of what we know as the People's Temple. So 20 members from the Laurel Street followed. The church was not financially able to support Jim's vision due to the small number of parishioners. 20 people to manipulate is not enough. They probably did not have enough money.
1: Even if they did have money, that's still not a large congregation. And you've got... Bills to pay and things to keep up and,
0: you know what I mean? All of the things that go along with running, you know, any kind of business. Right. Because that's what It was was. a business. Mm -hmm. So, Jim began seeking out publicity for his church, which is another common theme here. He was trying to popularize and recruit. He began to associate with the independent assemblies of God. It was like an international version organization of church, if you will. Yeah. <clears throat> it's essentially a group of churches that embraced the Lateran movement as well as the divine healing practices. So he's like, okay, you guys are kind of more in what I'm trying to do right you now. You fit my beliefs better. Or my... So, yeah. Me. My, my mission. <laughs> exactly. Quote, unquote. And they didn't have many prerequisites for becoming a minister, so it was pretty easy mm, for him weird. to just slide right in mm. and...
1: And from all... From everything I've read, he was a very charismatic person, Ooh. very well spoken for being raised, you know what I mean, dirt poor and whatnot, like he knew how to put on the writs and tell people what they wanted to hear. So
0: I he could wouldn't see that have gotten as even far as this he did. far Mm-mm. in the story of where we're at. Without if that if people weren't wanting to listen to him. Right. And that's the thing that's crazy. So June of that year, Jim had a meeting with William Branham. You guys remember him, right? lottery mm. movement guy. As we previously mentioned, he was also a healer, evangelist and a Pentecostal leader. Ugh. He initiated the healing revival. He claimed to be a prophet with the anointing of Elijah. He claimed that he had come to herald Christ's second coming. And some of his followers became known as the doomsday cults. Like the original, if you will. <laughs> oh. The OG.
1: What company we keep. Oh my gracious. <sighs> So in 1956, Jim is ordained as an IAOG, so the Independent Assemblies of God minister, by Joseph Matson Bose. He is the leader of both the Latter Rain movement and the IAOG. Jim, shockingly not shockingly, rises through the ranks very quickly. <laughs> June 11th of that year, he organized and hosted a healing convention in Indianapolis. He shared the pulpit with Branham, who was known to tell attendees their own name, their own address, and why they went to him for prayer. And then he would just pronounce them healed. Like, oh, that's it. And we're good. Like the Etch-A-Sketch. And you're good. (laughs) Uh, So, of course, Uh this is something Jim is into, and he starts to implement these same tactics. Jones and Branham had an attendance of 11,000 at their first joint venture, which that's, that's a shit ton of people. a
0: crazy amount of people.
1: When you, like, don't have flights like you do now and mm-hmm. highways like you do now and stuff like that. like That's exactly. a lot of people. Um, Branham actually publicly endorsed Jones and his ministry at this convention they held together, saying that God used the convention to send forth a great new ministry. I'm sure there was lots of pulpit smacking and sweating and gesturing to the <laughs> heavens, but I don't believe any of it. I call bullshit. Right. <laughs> um, people, however, believed and bought into the fact that Jim had a supernatural gift. So between that and the endorsement, Jim's new church just sort of went and grew very quickly.
0: Well, I think that's part of what really throws me off, too, is that like with my religious upbringing, having a supernatural gift, like that's not a good that the supernatural wouldn't was be, not something. you be something. like burned at the stake at like, that it's point? It's not good. It's not you a don't good want thing, it, right? Like, and quite frankly, you don't even believe that it exists. Because I mean, the J Dubs don't believe in the Holy Spirit, but that's neither here nor Whole there. Whole another thing. <laughs> um, so here's the caveat that
1: makes me happy, but also filled with rage. Right. Jim is actively recruiting black people, encouraging them to attend his church openly. He welcomes them with open arms, which was unheard of. So I get why people who weren't included would be like, well, fuck, yeah, I want to be included. Look at me go. So I get it. Doesn't this
0: give you, like, Sam Little vibes? Yeah, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Come to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And also, like, purposely, you're taking people who are You're taking advantage of people who think they're
1: less than. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. You're poaching them, basically, from their normal lives.
0: Ooh, (laughs) it's... Really grinds my gears. Well, and it's just because it's disguised to be is a good thing, but we know. Yes,
1: it does seem like uh, all religious and higher power, but But it's not. There's
0: ulterior motives.
1: Um. So regular attendance at Church of Crazy People jumped to a thousand (laughs) wings of and above. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um. At this stage in the game is when Jane changed. Jim changed the name to the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel, which. Girl, that's a mouthful. So we're just gonna call it People's Temple because that's what they all called it later on. Yep. Um, thanks to his many connections within all the things, he was able to put together several multi-state revivals. Which and,
0: is crazy. I know.
1: And also with not two nickels to rub together to make this happen. Right. Um, he also somehow managed to organize a second
0: international
1: convention in nineteen fifty seven. Yeah.
0: When we say these are, like, these were movements, these were fucking movements. Like, these, this latter rain healing shenanigans really, like, game changer for Christianity. Which is so wild to think about because, like, looking back, it seems so Crazy. cartoonish yes. and just overacted. And well, like I
1: said, I swear there was a movie that I watched where somebody was healed by oh, a preacher. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, gets up out of the pulpit or gets up out of their wheelchair and just walks off. Like, there's even an episode
0: where... of Bless the Hearts where they, like, play on the whole mega church thing. That's true. You know what I mean? Like, it's become part of pop culture, if you will. So it was around this time that Jim had adopted and begun promoting a key doctrine from the latter rain movement, the manifested sons of God. This is the belief that individuals could become manifestations of God with supernatural gifts and superhuman abilities. What? Now you're talking about X-Men. Right. (laughs) Literally. They believed that such a manifestation signaled the second coming of Christ. And that people endowed with these gifts would usher in a millennial age of heaven on earth. (laughs) Okay.
1: Because, and and so knowing what we know about Jim Jones, he's fascinated in this belief system. But Mm -hmm. it's probably very likely for selfish reasons because it fits the narrative that he is a prophet from God. That is capable of healing anyone from anything. So he took these principles and adapted it again to fit into his own ideas of what a utopia should look like. He was very influenced by Branham and his quote-unquote teachings, because it's all horse shit. (laughs) Um, And Jim wound up adopting many of Branham's practices. Depending on the day, Jim would claim that he uh, he was a return of Elijah the prophet, the voice of God, Or a manifestation of Christ, and sometimes even God himself. Oh, thank you. Okay, what what crazy train are you riding? (laughs) Okay, great. Um, So just as the cherry on top of the crazy cake, he would also top it off with promoting the idea that the end of the world was imminent. So Mm -hmm. we should all fear it.
0: Yep. This is why, so when I came out of like the J-dubs, having like this like doomsday vibe to it, was kind of what made me wake up to it being an actual, like, cult. cult. Mm-hmm. Because that's a huge factor in it. Because that's part of what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. My mother was told not to bother having children, not to bother to educate herself, don't bother investing in Cause your future. Because so you'll Armageddon was around the corner, and it wasn't going to matter. Just like my, great, my grandmother was told that, and my great-grandmother was told mm-hmm. that. Same idea. Right. It's really... Terrible? I don't it's like it. It's really off-putting in a lot of ways. Especially when you see people who just believe it at
1: face value it's so uh, well and i again we have to take all of this with a grain of salt because of the time period that we were dealing with a lot of people were undereducated or not yeah. educated so they did they did believe in their faith and they wanted oh, yeah. to believe in something like being healed with the touch of a palm exactly. of exactly so i do get it and yeah. that's what pisses me off even more absolutely because like you said he's just poaching the vulnerable ones mm-hmm. out of the barrel. It's,
0: and he's manipulating what they want to be true and making it seem true. That's like, tell me more. It's it, it's just, cra- and it just, it gets worse guys. Like we're not even at like the bad shit yet. That's, I was just gonna say, <laughs> this isn't even the bad part. This is like the, the, the first layer of the crazy cake if you will. So the partnership between Branham and Jim did not last. I find that shocking. Jim kinda broke up with the Latter Rain movement after an argument ensued between the two of them, which I found this kind of funny. Because it's so it's so fucking fitting for two men trying to run Doomsday Cults. Right. Because what he did was Jim prophesized, heavy air quotes, Branham's death. Ah. Which Branham didn't like. What? <laughs> he was like, What do you mean? Right. Uh, Jim had a problem with Branham's racial teachings, which very well could have been true, knowing what we know about Jim right. Jones. Um, simultaneously, Brandon became increasingly opposed to communism, which so it was just no also longer... makes sense. Like, it's not working anymore. The whole partnership just imploded, and Jim moved on. He turned his attention to a man called Father Divine.
1: I love that. Yes. I would have loved to meet Father Divine.
0: Yes. He was a black spiritual leader of the International Peace Mission Movement who claimed that he was God. So maybe maybe I don't, don't want to meet
1: him. I sort of do. I have some <laughs>
0: questions. If, in fact, you are God, I would like to ask you some I things. I have some things mm-hmm. to say. Yes, I do. Because of this belief, Father Divine was often ridiculed within the Pentecostal minister community because, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but, like, you're not supposed to say that you're God. I, I thought that was, like, rule number it one of being It literally is. You're
1: like the mouthpiece for God. You're not actual God. Right. You're like a tool. Dear Lord.
0: The first time Jim pays Divine a visit was in 1956. The visit was a peace mission of sorts to kind of feel each other out jim explained it as an opportunity to quote give an authentic unbiased and objective statement about what their activities were to him and his fellow pentecostal members so it made it seem like he was basically like proposing the people's temple because like what jim so what jim's trying to do guys is he's trying to align himself with Bigger fish. Yes. Because he is a small fish in a big pond, and he's trying to get in with somebody. But with with somebody... established ministries and right. all of their paying. But the caveat meals. is that he needs one that's going to not pay attention to what he's doing. Because mm-hmm. what he's doing is immoral.
1: Right. Well, I'm lying. Mm-hmm. So that's
0: where we're at. So... Despite the fact that Jim
1: publicly disagreed with many of Divine's ideas and teachings, he actually began to promote some of them anyways. The main one was the idea of communal living, which also sort of fits into the communism thing. Uh, While in Philadelphia, Jim learned many outreach practices and began to implement them into his own ministry, One idea of his was to get a soup kitchen set up, as well as providing free groceries and or clothing to those who were in need, which sounds great on the
0: surface. Again, on the surface.
1: Two years later, Jim makes his way back to Philly and pays Father Divine a second visit, hoping he could learn more about his practices, because obviously they were working. Um, When Jim made it back to his own congregation, he spoke of how he wanted to be Father Divine's successor while comparing the two ministries. And it's at this point that Jim began implementing the things he had learned from his time spent with Divine. An example of this being disciplinary practices. Mm, I don't like like it. it. Um, Because of this, Jim was able to increasingly take control over the lives of the members of his parish. So not even while they're in church. Right. Literally their whole lives.
0: Which this is what he was looking for. Yes. This is exactly like what he needed to go to the next level. So in the year of 1959, Jim was distancing himself from the latter rain movement and Pentecostalism. He wanted something that would be more open to the entirety of his belief system rather than just parts of it. At the same time, his family was beginning to expand. Again, like Pokemon. Yep. They added four more kids to the mix. There was three Korean-American children named Lou, Stephanie, and Suzanne. Hey, you poor girl. Followed by a biological son named Steven later that year. Unfortunately, Stephanie was lost to a car accident at the age of five shortly after being adopted. Again,
1: though, just... These people... So, by 1960, this sees the People's Temple sort of align themselves with the Disciples of Christ. Um, Jim was assured by their leader that the organization would be tolerant of his political leanings. So, the Disciples of Christ is yet another baddie movement. Mm -hmm. Um, Their headquarters were located in Indianapolis. It was basically a mainline Protestant Christian denomination... Often referred to as the Christian Church, a uh, Protestant is a Christian who belongs to the branch of Christian churches that separated from the Catholic Church in the 16th century. Cause what I what? do? What sense does that sentence even? Make? I do remember that. What is the man's name? He basically the guy that nailed the things on the door. I'll Google it I'll have the answer for you in part I two. feel like
0: I should know this I,
1: again I went to a Catholic church I should also know this off the top of my head I do not um, The main you can tell we blocked it all out right I have blinders on um, The main essential for modern disciples is the acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and obedience to him in baptism.
0: So I kind of read this as this is kind of like the foundations for what we know of Christianity today. Right. As a whole, if you will.
1: I could see that. Um, This same year, 1960, Jim is appointed the director of the local Human Rights Commission by the mayor of Indianapolis. Well, So this is where he does good. Right, this is where he gets me. (laughs) Um, The mayor, Charles Boswell, is the one that commissioned him he instructed Jim to keep a low profile but I know you're gonna be shocked here Jim did not listen what? instead he used his position to secure spots on the radio and the television so he could be interviewed and share his views with a larger audience so again it, it might be a little bit you know for human rights right. but I think it's mostly for Jim Jones
0: it's for the ego
1: <laughs> right right <laughs> Um, the mayor, along with other high-ranking humans, tried to get him to knock this shit off, but again, he was like, no, thank you. I'm not
0: gonna listen. I'll do what I
1: want. He was getting people's attention, and he was into it. Mm -hmm. He was actually scheduled to give a speech at a meeting of the NAACP and the Urban League. During this meeting, uh, he encouraged the audience to become more militant in their actions is he is ended Karl Marx communism this, there he ended the speech with quote let my people go that just frustrated me so much but you are not my people sir no. excuse you I would have been like what but of course it whipped the crowd into a frenzy and they just went bananas they for loved Jim it Jones. they loved it
0: well and again there you know he know, he's not stupid -hmm. He's he's hitting all the marks. Well, again, though, what
1: words would you like to hear? You know what I mean? Exactly.
0: Well, and especially 1960. What was happening in 1960? Oh yeah, absolutely. What was starting to happen? Like he got right in on the ground floor of the like of the civil rights movement. And so again, did he really hate racism, or was he he just an
1: opportunist?
0: I think it's both. I think it's both, and I think it can be both because I do think that he truly hated racism, and I think that. I think that things like communism and socialism are just too broad of terms. But in their most base ideas, they're not inherently bad. It's right. How you manipulate it and how you use it—that's bad. Well, again, it's how you twist it to
1: fit your agenda. Right. Like a Rubik's cube. Like you're just. There's plenty of it now. countries
0: who are more on like the socialism side mm-hmm. t- today that are doing very, very well, and their people are happy, and things are great. And then there's communist countries that things are not good. Like, look at China. Look at North, North Korea. You can't even leave North Korea. People can't go there. It's right. It's scary there. Like, you know, I think it's both. Right. So, Jim began to help racially integrate many public places. And this is, like, the only cool part of his story. This
1: is the gold star he gets. Yeah. As a person.
0: It's really great. And... As the political climate is today, like it's kind of crazy to think that we're still, not to this extent, but like we're still dealing with some of the, the effects mm-hmm. of all of this. So he helped integrate churches, restaurants, the telephone company, the police department, a theater, an amusement park, and the Indiana University Health Methodist. He was very involved with the community. He helped those around him in any way that he could. There's likely nefarious intentions there, but it doesn't change the fact that he did do some really really good. (laughs) good things. There was one time where someone had vandalized the home of two black families. They had painted swastikas on their houses. And Jim was on the scene almost immediately. He was comforting the families affected and was asking the white families not to move away because of this. couple other examples of things that he did, he set up a sting operation of sorts to catch restaurants that wouldn't serve black people, which I love. Right. And he wrote to the American Nazi Party and passed their responses to the media for exposure purposes.
1: I think it was mostly like, hey, be nice. And they were like, oh, okay. Right. I don't actually... There is a lot of documentation because he was in the papers a lot, but to go through all the papers, like, I'd still be going through all the papers, so... (laughs) Ain't nobody got time for that, yeah. despite the fact that our research is wonderful. It's <laughs> Um, So, in 1961, here's more Pokemon children. Jim and Marceline adopt two more children, Timothy and James Jones Jr. James Jr., which... I'm happy, but also, this is weird. Uh, He's the first black child to be adopted by white parents in the state of Indiana at that time. Isn't that wild? And he named him after himself. Is that some sort of weird projection thing for you? Because that's my vibe. Oh, yeah. (sighs) Um, Jim was taking night classes and finished his secondary education degree. He did pass out at one point. I don't know if he was preaching or what he was doing, but he ended up being placed in the black ward at the hospital. He did refuse to be moved and began to help with making beds and things of the like once he was able to do so. Because of this situation taking place, the hospital officials began feeling some political pressure and actually wound up desegregating the wards. So again, great. We're doing some good things um the people's temple actually did become a target of the nazis during this time they highly criticized jim specifically for the in- integrationist views that the church held mm-hmm. um the temple was vans- vandalized with the swastika someone threw a stick of dynamite into a coal pile that was inside the temple mm-hmm. and someone actually threw a dead cat at jim's house right after he received a threatening phone call and i think they from when i read all they took responsibility for all of
0: these they Mm -hmm. were like "Uh uh-huh try us pretty much yeah they weren't trying to hide what was happening right i mean nazis are assholes Mm -hmm. so there's that (laughs) so by the end of that year indianapolis was far more racially integrated the publicity jim had gotten led to his congregation growing of course it did jim warned his congregation that he had visions of a nuclear attack this is Either One, thing. you know, he's a prophet, so it must be true, right? This attack was going to destroy the city. Like, just like just the city, though, is kind of like how he told it, at first at least. Like, it's not going to destroy more than that. Um, there is a side note I'd like to make. Branham also foretold a prophecy of destruction of the U.S., so not a real original idea. There, right. Jim. Nothing. I mean, other than integration, I don't think he has any
1: original ideas
0: here. Jim was trying to find a way to escape what he believed was inevitable, total destruction. And at this point, his wife kind of began getting concerned, and she started confiding, confiding in friends that she was very worried about Jim, and that he was becoming more paranoid and more fearful than before, which... Could have been an act, but I honestly it was think probably the drugs. <laughs> ding ding ding.
1: About that, yeah. Um. So this brings us to the period of the weird obsession with South America, which is where they eventually end up. Right. Um. In January, I think of 1961, Jim read an article saying that South America would be the safest place to be during a nuclear war. Right. Huh? Why? Huh? alright. Well, some of Branham's followers had already moved there, so perhaps that's why he was like, that might could be a good idea. Right. Um, So, Jim takes a trip, starts scouting out locations. He was intending for the People's Temple to relocate basically anywhere that he liked. Um, The first stop was Georgetown, Guyana, which was an English-speaking British colony. He did hold some revival meetings while he was there. And just as a fun fact, Brie and I both thought for no reason that this was in Africa. I, no, I thought it was an island. Okay, so there's an <laughs> island, I thought it was in Africa. So I obviously
0: we have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. It literally, it's like the mandala effect, I think. It's just one of those things where, like, I literally said to Mark, I was like, yeah, you know, the island of Jonestown. He's like, it's not a fucking island. Like, what are
1: you doing? I didn't actually know it either until I researched it. And I was like, oh, it's not even I, in Africa. It's stupid. It's
0: My brain is like, that's not a necessary detail. (laughs)
1: Um, His second stop on the crazy train was in Brazil. His family actually rented a home there, and they did spend some time there. Um, Jim studied the local economy and how the people of different racial backgrounds received his message. However, the language barrier did prove very difficult for him. Um, He spoke mostly of an apostolic communal lifestyle, but he did not reveal himself as a communist at that point. Uh, in 1963, the whole family moved to Rio de Janeiro, where they did work with poor families, which, okay, great. Thank you for your service, I guess.
0: Right. You crazy, crazy person. <laughs> okay, Razzie. Seriously. While in South America, a, a regular attendance at the people's temples back in the States dropped dramatically. Well, wow. They had under 100 followers. Without crazy Jim there. Right. Leading the crazy train. So Jim felt a lot of guilt over his abandonment of the civil rights struggle back in Indiana. He, he demanded that the church send him all the revenue it's generated. The temple inevitably went into debt. Well, because that's not possible. Right. You can't just do that. Right. The church was on the brink of collapse, which God should have let it if happen. Only. Um And this prompts Jim's return to Indiana. When Jim makes his way back to the temple... In December of 1963, he finds a group of people who are bitterly divided. Financial issues and low attendance forced Jim to see... Sell the building. To sell yeah. the building and, like, relocate. He had to kind of look at the bigger picture here and be like, okay, this isn't working. He begins hitting the revival circuit again, traveling with members of the Latter Rain movement again, and began holding healing campaigns as a way to raise money. I like it, hitting the revival circuit, like, hitting <laughs> the crack pipe because like- literally that's what it. I, I do feel like almost as if he was addicted to it because I would imagine that. There Somebody had been some kind of power with an trip ego there. complex like that. Yeah. has to be like you have to hear me. eleven thousand people at one point. Stood All in front of, of their him. big eyes
1: turned up at him. Right. I can see it exactly.
0: Um, in what
1: seems like slightly as an attempt to distract his followers, Jim speaks of a prophecy. He tells the congregation that the nuclear war is imminent. And that it would take place on July 15th of 1964, and this would engulf the entire world. Mm-hmm. Not just Indianapolis.
0: Yeah. This or time, Indiana.
1: The world. The whole world. We're just jumping it up there. He claimed that this would lead to a new socialist Eden here on Earth, and that the temple must move for their own safety. Their destination, you may ask? <laughs> Northern California, because that's not still that in the world. The world. <laughs> okay, great.
0: <laughs> this man is crazy. I just don't understand the logic here. Um, I think that he probably, as we know, you know, California has always been like more left leaning. So I feel like he probably thought that they'd be more open to his more like radical beliefs. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, and we're not gonna find out till next week. Oh no, because <laughs> this is where we're gonna pause. When we meet again, we're going to discuss the relocations of the temple, apostolic socialism, which is like Jim's own thing, and how we end up with more than 900 people taking their lives in the name of Jim Jones. Mm. Crazy, crazy stuff. So many questions. So as always, thank you guys so much for listening and for your support. We appreciate the fuck out of you guys. You can find us on social media. The podcast is on at Crime and Spirits Pod on Instagram and Facebook at Crime and Spirit, or I'm sorry, just Crime Spirits Pod on Twitter. If you guys are interested in us as people, feel free to follow us on Instagram. My own personal handle is Brie, B-R-E-E underscore not the cheese. I'm Suze, not Susan. <laughs> S-U-Z-E, not Susan. <laughs> you guys can tell that we have complexes about our name. A lot. <laughs> so much. And guys, if you guys could just do us a huge, huge favor, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or rate us in the way that your preferred platform allows if you can. It would just really help us get found a little bit more organically and also we just really love the feedback. Because we love it. Yeah. So thanks again, guys. Anything you got to say to our peeps? Absolutely not. We love you, and we'll see you soon. Bye.